Good morning. Uh, today we're going to be reading from uh, John 14, or sorry, John 15, 12 to 17, which is on page 764 in uh, the Red Pew Bible in front of you if you haven't brought your own Bible. So John chapter 15, verse 12. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I have learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you, then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command, love each other. is the word of the Lord. So that takes a lot of pressure off a preacher because it's not my words this morning. I got a few that I'm going to add and we're going to pray that the Lord uses those. But we're here this morning to sit under the teaching of the New Testament in John and the gospel that we find there. And so I encourage you this morning as we're hearing these scriptures, as we're reading through them, we're going to look through them one by one. Uh, the screen is wrong. That's my typo. It's, it's not 11 to 17. It really is 12. But 11 is great too. You can read that this morning if you want. I encourage you to open a Bible, have it on your lap. We'll, we'll be walking verse by verse. But it's, it's helpful to actually see that in front of you. So if you have a smartphone or one of the Red Pew Bibles, feel free to open that up to John chapter 15. About 20 years ago, uh, I, I worked for a guy named John Penner. His parents are usually here in the back corner. Uh, Peter and Maria, are they here this morning? I'm not seeing them. They're not here this morning because I was going to brag about her cherry pie. I think she might make the best cherry pie I've ever had in my life. And, uh, but the first time I had cherry pie, I probably had cherries that were from a can or something. And so when I bit into cherry, to, to Maria's cherry pie, I almost broke a tooth because she didn't take out the pits. I was like, oh my goodness, but this is the real thing. They were cherries that came from her tree. And so tw- about 20 years ago, I worked for her son. He had started a landscaping company. And most of you know who Steve Gosen is. He worked for us. And, and Doug, who preached last week, his younger brother, Dave, we all worked together for a season or two as I was interning here at Cornerstone about 20 years ago. And we had a blast together. It was so much fun. Uh, during the summer, we had this one tape, Hillsong tape. Darlene Check back then was the worship. Usually on the front of the album, she looked about 20 stories tall. She was the one on the front of the album. And we were just, all summer, we wore this tape out. Finally, by the end of the summer, we knew all the lyrics. We knew every little shot. We knew every, Steve Gosen with his big afro would be hanging his head half out the truck window and singing worship tunes to everybody who drove by. It was an amazing summer. And what made that summer amazing was that John was a friend. We we got to know each other really well. We worked together. He brought us into business decisions. Which lawn do you want to cut today? Okay, well, we can put this off and we can do that one next week. We, got par- we were part of that. 
and we cared about his business. We worked hard for his business because we cared about John. Contrast that a few years later as I went out west to do my degree, and I worked for a company out west and, and worked for them several years, helped pay my way through college. And the, the boss there, he didn't really care about friendship that much. He kind of he wanted to run the business from afar, so he had hired a couple crews, two lead hands to run those crews, and he sat in his office all day, so I didn't really know him that well. And I worked for a lead hand who clearly did not want to be there every morning. He was pretty grumpy, and by the end of the season, like none of us really became friends. And so I dreaded waking up and going to work. I, by the end of, the, of the, my time working there, I was so over it, like I was so done. I woke up the beginning of one summer, my last summer working for them, and it was the first day of work. Christina had driven me to work. We had one car back then, and she dropped me off. And before she dropped me off, I said, I think I'm done here. It was my first day of work that summer. <laughs> She's like, uh, you got a whole summer to pay off student debt yet. Uh, right. But the difference, friendship... In that experience, friendship makes all the difference. Now, for you business owners and entrepreneurs, you hire people. You just want people like he wanted people. I get it. But for me personally, as an employee, what made the difference is I knew my employer. I knew John. I was friends with him. And we cared about the business. We worked hard for him. And so I want to ask you this morning, if we think about that in spiritual terms, where are you spiritually? Where's your spirituality at? Christians... Sometimes see their spiritual lives as an obligation. Here are the things that I need to do to be a good Christian. Some, some Christians see church as a chore. All right, we gotta, oh, gotta get up and out of bed, get to church. We need to obey our boss, God, because he said so. How many of you heard that growing up? Uh, you need to go wash the dishes. Why? Because I said so. Some of us have parents who repeated that over and over. Sometimes we think of God that way. Why, God? Why do I need to do that? Because I said so. And so we see God in that way. We see God, but some of us have an innate desire just to do good. And, and so we want to do all the good we can, but it's still sometimes self-motivating. It's like we want to do good so that others see that we're doing good. And so we busy ourselves like crazy, hoping that the boss might, might someday see it and promote us and give us a raise. And others of us live, I had some co-workers like this, others of us live like, like salvation is our paycheck. There's Christians who live that way. I had some buddies who'd lean on their shovel half the day and, and everybody else would get the work done, but they were just glad to get their minimum wage. You know, if I could just do the bare minimum to get my paycheck at the end of the day. And some of us, I think, treat our spirituality that way. We're, we're, we would just be happy to squeeze into heaven if our hair was singed. Like we just barely made it by hell and, and we're in heaven, right? Like... Just smelling a little bit of smoke, right? And so we see, uh, we see God that way, a boss that's kind of hands off, go and do your thing. And Jesus turns that mindset on its head. So I would say in this passage, Jesus is contrasting two mindsets. We sometimes talk about being servant-hearted as a good thing, to serve others is a good thing. Right here, Jesus is making it a negative statement. He makes it a negative contrast. You, you used to be servants. I used to call you servants, slaves. The NIV says servants, but really the word there is slave. But we have a hard time understanding that word in our culture because of, of African-American slavery, Afri- African slavery. It was a little bit different than that. It wasn't quite, quite as harsh and extreme, but it wasn't just servanthood either. It was, it was slavery. And so Jesus is contrasting slavery 
with friendship. What's the mindset of slaves or servants? And we're going to talk about a servant mindset, and we're going to contrast that with a friend, friend mindset. And we find that smack dab in our section. So our section's 12 to 17, but right in the middle, the heart of the passage are verses 14 and 15. And this is what he says, you are my friends if you do what I command. And we'll explain that, but listen, you are my friends. And that verse makes it sound like you're my friends if you do such and such. Then you can be my friends. But there's enough verses around it we'll get to. We'll talk about that a little bit. That's not, not exactly what he's getting at. 15, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father I've made, made known to you. Friendship here makes all the difference. See, the gospel says, you're not a servant, you're a friend. The gospel says, listen, I gave you your paycheck at the beginning of the day, and you actually don't have to earn it. You, you wouldn't have to show up for work at all if you didn't want to. It's yours. Here you go. It's at the beginning of the day. You don't have to earn it. How could you earn it? I've given it to you already. I've given it, that's the gospel. I've invited you. I didn't, like, send you off to do these tasks, and I'm, I'm sitting up in heaven watching you the whole time. The gospel says... Jesus is inviting us into a partnership in his business. And he's saying, we get to do these things together. I'm not going to, you don't have to go off and do these on your own. You're actually joining me in what I'm already doing. That's the gospel. And, and I call you friends. It's amazing. That's the good news for us today. We, uh, the whole conversation, let's realize that, is still in the context of the chapter. So if you were here the last couple weeks, this chapter 15 starts out with this metaphor of the vine and the branches. Jesus is the vine and his followers are the branches. That's still the context of this conversation. And so back in verse 8, uh, Jesus says, This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. This is to my Father's glory. That's like our mission as Cornerstone. Our mission as Cornerstone is is that for the glory of God, we would make disciples. This is for the Father's glory. So being a disciple of Jesus who is sent looks a certain way. There's certain markers in one's life where you can tell this is a follower of Jesus. This is not just a servant. This is a friend of Jesus who understands Jesus' heart. And this is what their life looks like. They bear fruit. And so this morning we want to explore, what does it look like as a friend of Jesus? What does that fruit look like compared to a servant? And so friendship makes all the difference. When we live in that ongoing relationship, that ongoing friendship with Jesus, our life bears fruit. When we abide in the vine, it starts there, then that branch can bear fruit. And so we're going to look together this morning at five things, five ways that we see the evidence of fruit as people abide in Jesus as a friend. And so we also, our, our series has been called Sent. We have to understand that these friends of Jesus are sent. This whole upper room chat with his disciples in the upper room, he's, he's saying, here's some instructions because I'm sending you now to carry on the family business. And so here's five things. What does it look like? to be friends on mission with Jesus. So firstly, friends on mission love each other sacrificially. 
This short passage's book ended with essentially the same statement. You can see verse 12 and verse 17. So this little section, verse 12 and 17, 12 says, My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. And then 17 finishes our little section and says, this is my command. Just slightly different. Love each other, but saying the same thing. And then in verse 13, where it's sandwiched in between, Jesus qualifies this type of love. And he says, it's a sacrificial love. Greater love has no one than this. We've kind of all memorized it that way. It's a weird, awkward statement. If, I don't know. It's weird. Do you find it weird? Greater love has no one than this. What does that mean? That, well, he, that to lay down one's... It just means that there is no greater love than the type of love where somebody lays down their life for somebody else. There's no greater love on the planet. There's no greater love in the cosmos. And so Jesus here... We understand that, again, he's foreshadowing what's about to happen. Literally, in the matter of a few short hours, Jesus is going to die. We've got to remember the context of this passage. It's leading up to his crucifixion, and he knows it. He knows it's imminent. And so, again, he's warning them. And the disciples don't really fully grasp how much Jesus loves them. Like, they've hung out with him. He's kind of gone to the mat for them. They've walked a lot of miles together. They've been on mission together. They've eaten together. They've shared space. They've probably slept on the same floor of the same people's houses when they're hanging out. Like, they've hung out a lot, but they don't fully understand the extent of how much he loves them yet. But they will. And when we see in, Ch- in Acts, the, ch- the, er- the church's early history, we see that their lives, after they've seen what Jesus was going to accomplish for them what Jesus would do, that he would sacrifice himself willing for, willingly for them. Then they, something transforms in them. And we see the early church, we see an incredible sacrificial love. We see an, a sacrificial hospitality. We see a sacrificial generosity. People are selling their vacation homes to, to give money to the poor. People are, are incredibly sacrificial towards one another. And it happens because they see how much Jesus has really loved them. I can't help but think, and we live in a weird generation where war happens over there. But some of you are old enough to have lived through war that has actually impacted Canada in significant ways. And I can't think, can't help but think about the stories and the movies that we see where people have come back from war with bonds of friendship that last a lifetime. Because they were sacrificing their lives in risking on mission together. And it's that kind of friendship, it's that kind of love that Jesus is is talking about. How do we love this way? How do we love this way? How do we love in a sacrificial way? If that's the fruit of a disciple, if that's the mark of a friend of Jesus who's on mission, how do we love that way? We need to understand that this type of sacrificial love can only be lived out if one is abiding in Christ. It goes back to the earlier part of chapter. The only way that we can live out a sacrificial type of love is if we're abiding in Christ. So we can't muster up this kind of love with a lot of effort to prove that we belong as a disciple. This is, this is the natural outgrowth of a life who has seen, who has meditated upon, who loves the sacrifice of Jesus, who who has incorporated that into their life. This is the kind of love of somebody who 
has entered into the cross of Jesus and recognizes that and receives it as their own. It's only out of the outflow of that type of relationship with the Savior can uh, sacrificial love come from. Otherwise, in the video, we see in the video that Kevin showed the other week, otherwise the fruit, when you're trying hard and you're like, let's love sacrificially, I'm just going to try hard. I don't really know who Jesus is. It's like pasting pizza onto your branches or it's like pasting plastic fruit onto your branches. And eventually people see that it's not real fruit because it tastes like plastic when people come near. And so this kind of love is a sign. It's not a prerequisite. This morning, we're going to be celebrating communion together. And so I want to encourage you as a way, if, if you're like, okay, Jesus, I do want my life to be marked by a sacrificial love. I want my life to be sacrificially loving to others, hospitable, to generous. Then this morning is a perfect opportunity. It's why we celebrate it every month. Because there's something beautiful in the symbol of communion to think upon the sacrifice of Jesus. And as we meditate upon what Jesus has done, his love for us, we are transformed into his likeness. As we enter into this prayerfully, as we enter into this beautiful moment of saying yes to the sacrifice of Jesus for our own lives, then our lives are transformed more and more into his likeness. And so I encourage you this morning as part of this worship experience of celebrating communion together to have a moment to say, Jesus I want you to be the source of my sacrificial love for others. I want you to be the one that's stirring that up inside of me so that it's natural. It's the the fruit of our relationship. And so the other thing about sacrificial love for disciples is that it's actually missional. And so we see two chapters ago, Jesus in the upper room, he introduces this idea that that it's a missional idea. Here, the word love that Jesus uses in the Greek means to welcome, to entertain, to be fond of, to love dearly. And so clearly the type of love that Jesus is talking about is, is a hospitable. It's like a radically hospitable sort of love. And we've seen that. I want, I want you to be encouraged because we've seen that in the testimony of Misuk recently. And so we see that. We're seeing that among us, this beautiful type of Love that sacrifices hospitably for others and welcomes them in and gives them an opportunity, gives them a place, gives them a home, gives them a family. Again, I got to tell it again. I probably told it before, but I got to tell it again because it's fantastic. She said, um, we were talking about this book. We were doing this book study last fall together. It was about hospitality and she couldn't figure out what the word hospitality meant. She's working in second language. And so she's like, what does hospitality mean? I can't understand that. She's looking up in her Korean dictionaries. I can't find a good translation for this word. What does it mean? And then she says, but after a few months, I realized you have shown me the definition. Isn't that beautiful? That's a sacrificial type of love where you welcome somebody in. You give them a spot at your table. You love them. They become family. We welcome them at the expense of our own pride. We welcome people at the expense of our own pocketbook sometimes. We welcome people at the expense of our calendar. Sometimes it hurts our calendar. Loving sacrificially is missional. John chapter 13, 34 and 35, he says this, I give you a new command, love one another. As I have loved you, that sacrificial kind of love, so you must love one another. And by this kind of love, Everyone will know that you're my disciples 
if you love one another. It's the type of love as we live that out among one another, as we really are committed to one another as sisters and as brothers, that people take note, that people say, that's so interesting. This morning, we're welcoming some members, and one of the members, you'll read in your insert this morning, one of the members was meeting Cornerstone folks in the community, and she said, wow, these people are just so nice, and realized all these people were Cornerstone folks. I'm not tooting our own horn here. I just example of what the love of Christ does when we abide in him, it flows out. And now they want to become members as part of this community, part of this church. That's a beautiful story of the love of Jesus. Someone who has a servant mindset, let's contrast servant and friend here. Someone who has a servant mindset tries to love this way because they're told to do so. And often do it begrudgingly. And often want everybody to know they're doing it because a servant mindset, because they're scratching anything they can on their own, they're not getting paid enough. A servant mindset is, is wants everybody to know so they get the accolades for themselves. And so that kind of love is actually self-serving. It's not self-sacrificing. But a friend, a person who's a friend of Jesus, they can't help themselves live this way. They're always coming up with ideas. Hey, let's make some Fleischperschke for raising money for... They're always coming up with ideas to sacrificially love meat buns. Like, let's make meat buns to help this person out. Let's make meat buns to help this person. These are ideas of a sacrificial kind of love. Let's give up our time, our resources, our energy to love people who maybe are part of our community, maybe not even. Let's love on folks. That's the friend of Jesus type of mindset. And the friends of Jesus realize that 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 is a fruit that comes out of their obedience. It's not something that they produce to, to become part of a disciple or be a disciple of Jesus. It's what naturally outflows from their relationship with Jesus. And so firstly, friends on mission love sacrificially. Secondly, friends on mission obey Jesus' commands, quite simply. This is, I was figuring about this is probably going to be my least popular point because we do not like obedience. <laughs> At least I never did growing up. I didn't like to go to Camp Crossroads. I'm sorry, folks. I know Camp Crossroads is near and dear to our hearts. I think I went one year, and, uh, and then I went home after that year, and I said, why on earth would I spend my summer where somebody tells me what to do when I can stay at home and do whatever I want? It's weird. I don't really like obedience, clearly. And so this is not my most popular point this morning, but this is very simply the second way Jesus is saying that we recognize the friends of Jesus is that the fruit of their lives is obedience. Their fruit of their lives, their lives match up with his teaching. Somebody will be able to look at a disciple's life, a friend of Jesus, and say, oh yeah, I do see how that lines up with Jesus' teaching. Let's look at verse 14 again. You are my friends if you do what I command. Well, how does that look? Because when you read that verse alone, it kind of looks like, well, if you do what I command, then you can be my friend. But actually what Jesus is saying is, when you're my friend, you will do what I command. When you abide in me, that's the natural outcome. Part of abiding in Jesus, we've got to look back at verse 7, 
which isn't in our section this morning, but we've got to rewind a little bit to verse 7. And Jesus says, remain in me. This is what's part of remaining in him, is allowing his words to remain in you. So part of remaining in Jesus is allowing the word of God to dwell in us richly. We've got to allow his words to, to abide in us. So Jesus is very clear, maybe not a popular idea, but Jesus is clear here. Jesus says the fruit of friendship with him is obedience. You can't obey Jesus. We call Jesus the living word of God. We can't obey Jesus, the living word of God, without obeying his spoken words. We can't love Jesus without loving his words. Because all the words of Jesus added up are the word of God. And he is the living word. And so if we love Jesus, we, ha- we love his word. And then we obey it. Listen to what his, his half-brother, Jesus had a half-brother uh, named Jimmy. James 1, 22. I think he called him Jimmy, though. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. It's kind of plain. We can't just listen. Oftentimes in our culture, we think of faith in terms of agreeing to a set of beliefs or a creed. If we, if we, if we agree to that, that's what Christian faith looks like. And yet, when we look at the word in Greek, it's pistuo. And the, the word Greek, you can throw that on the screen too, is it means faith and faithfulness smashed into one word. The, the New Testament idea of faith is not only merely intellectual assent. It, is, it marks your whole life. Faith affects what you do as well. And so we need to understand obedience differently. Obedience is not the means of salvation. I can't, I can't say this enough. Obedience is not how we get saved. It is the inevitable result of salvation. It's the sign that a person has a saving relationship with Jesus. It's always tied with saving faith. Obedience is always tied with saving faith. It is the fruit of faith. Through the vine to the branches, fruit is obedience. And so we need to understand obedience differently. So let's contrast again servant friend. A servant thinks of obedience. A servant will obey often out of fear. A servant will obey out of obligation. Or a servant will obey because of what they get out of it. A friend understands the heart of that friend. A friend loves to do what a friend says because they know that that friend is for them. A friend obeys because they know the heart of the master is for them and wants to create joy. If we look back just a little bit in your Bibles to verses 10 and 11, and Pastor Kevin dealt with that section, that obedience is joy, actually. The obedience becomes joy when you're a friend of Jesus. You want to obey because it just gives you so much joy. You understand that his heart is for you. You understand what he wants for you is shalom. He wants peace for your whole life. He wants peace for the whole world. And so, yeah, we're like, of course I want to do these things. And so a servant mindset is begrudging. I got to do these things. And a friend, we're invited into a friendship though with Jesus. When you're a friend of Jesus... You're like, of course I want to do these things because it creates peace in my own life 
for others in the world. Our youngest, Mia, she's such a sweet girl. She's five years old now. And um, in her best moment, she's like a joy to our whole family. Everybody, she's so sweet. And, and so there's moments where we feel especially connected um, as, as a daddy. She's kind of a bit of a daddy's girl. And so when we have this real connected relationship going on, I can ask her to do just about anything, and she'll just be like, yes, daddy, and then go and do it with so much joy. Five-year-old, it's amazing. And there are moments, though, when she's hungry, and she's tired, and she's grumpy, and she doesn't do it that way. And it makes me think of our relationship with Jesus. When we are especially connected, that's when our attitude changes about obedience. When we have a special connection with Jesus, when we're grumpy and tired and hungry in life, when we're spiritually starving ourselves because we haven't connected with Jesus, that's when we don't want to do the things that he's asked us to do. But when we have a special connection with Jesus, when he's called us into this friendship and we spend time there, when we are abiding in that vine, that is the natural fruit of that relationship. And so I want to ask you this morning, are you living a life that is marked by obedience. Maybe you know some of the, the things that Jesus has commanded us, and you, in your life, you're not living those things out. Maybe you're even ignoring some of those things. I want to gently and humbly suggest to you, if you found that your life is not lining up with what you see Jesus commands in the Scripture, it's not a problem with what you're, what you're doing. It's not a problem with that you can't do them. It's a problem of who you're not hanging out with. That if you don't see your life lining up with Scripture, it's not a problem of doing, it's a problem of being. You're not connecting with Jesus. You're not abiding in the vine. And so this morning, you might hear me and think, man, I feel so guilty. I know that my life is not lining up to these things. My life looks like this and this and this. I'm struggling with addiction. I'm struggling with pornography. I'm struggling with lustful thoughts. I'm struggling with... Whatever it is you're, you're struggling with, you're saying, my life is not lining up to the commands of Jesus. And I would just humbly say that it's not about trying harder. It's not about picking yourself up by the bootstraps and trying harder. It's about hanging out more with Jesus. That's the invitation this morning. Because as you hang out more with the vine, the life sap of that vine is the spirit of God. And that fruit will be produced in you as you hang out more and more with him. And so our problem in life generally is not a problem of doing. It's a problem of being. Friendship makes all the difference. And so thirdly, friends on mission know the master's business. Take a look at verse 15 again. 15, Jesus says, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. And so previously, I compared this kind of relationship as an employer-employee relationship, and, and that's not even really a good application of this. this. We have to wrap our minds around that this is a friendship with the king of the universe. It's not a friendship with a boss or an employer. This is a friendship with the king of the universe. William Barclay writes this. This phrase is lit up by a custom practiced at the courts of both the Roman emperors and kings in the Middle East. At these courts, there were a very select group called the Friends of the King or the Friends of the Emperor. At all times, all times, 
They had access to the king. They even had the right to come to his bedchamber at the beginning of the day. And he talked to them before he talked to his generals, his rulers, his statesmen. The friends of the king were those who had the closest and most intimate connection with him. Isn't that beautiful? That's the invitation. The good news is that you get to be a friend of the king if that's what you choose, if you receive that this morning. Jesus, the king of the universe, has brought us into the inner court. It's like you get a backstage pass, all access. Even, it's even better than that. You're not even one of those people with a backstage pass. You're like a friend who gets to ride on the tour bus anytime you want. You get to, go, you get to hang out all the time. You're part of the inner core group. That's what Jesus is inviting us into, this beautiful invitation. And so a servant's mindset, this is, let's compare and contrast again. A servant's mindset doesn't know the master's business. And so what they do is the things that they think they were just told to do. That's it. If I can get this done, then I'm good. A servant thinks that way. A servant isn't innovative. A servant isn't thinking about the well-being of the company. You know what I'm saying? He's not thinking about how can I expand the, the, the gross income of this business. They're just doing as they're told. There's no creative energy there. Just following the rules. A friend, though, who knows and loves the owner, who knows and loves the master, cares about that business. Cares about way more than just the tasks that they were given. Cares about the flourishing of this whole enterprise. And so a friend of the king cares that this thing grows. A friend of the king cares that this is a healthy business, that it's, it's going to finish in the black every year. Friendship makes all the difference. Friends on mission know what Jesus is up to and want to join him in it and help it grow. They seek the kingdom first and trust that God will provide all they need. Fourthly, Friends on mission bear fruit that lasts. Take a look again, first part of verse 16. 16a, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Jesus makes it clear to the disciples here that that they can't take credit for their own transformation. See, look what I did. I chose Jesus, and now I'm awesome. Uh, he makes it clear. No, 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 no. I chose you. I'm doing this in your life. And so he kind of puts them in their place. You know, the disciples often fought. Who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? I want to sit at your right hand. I'm going to be the guy who sits at your right hand. No, no. I chose you. You didn't choose me. But there's something beautiful in that because these guys were kind of the outcasts. They failed the test to become Pharisees. Every little boy wanted to become a teacher of the law. They studied hard for that. And they failed the test and had to go back to their dad and say, okay, I'm going to be a fisherman. Some of these guys were outcasts of society. They were looked down upon. And so what's beautiful, and not only does Jesus put them in their own place and humble them, he also lifts them up in the same breath, in the same sentence. And he says, but I chose you. Like I chose you out of anybody else. You, I chose you. It's beautiful. So this, the king of the, in, the universe has chosen me for this incredible task. Jesus uses this word that means set apart. And it's used all over the Bible to be set apart for a specific ministry. And so when we see the fruitfulness attached to this, 
we have to understand that the fruitfulness is connected to the very specific ministry that he's given them. And that ministry that he's given them is to make disciples. And so fruitfulness that lasts. All the commentaries, I couldn't find a commentator who didn't say this about this passage. The fruit that lasts is talking about disciples made. To be fruitful is about making disciples. He set them apart for that. So again, let's think about fruit imagery. We've talked about this before. I want to talk about it again. We've got to pound it into our heads. We love fruit because it tastes good. But God didn't make fruit primarily for that purpose. Fruit carries seeds. Fruit carries seeds primarily for the purpose of reproduction. Fruit is always about reproduction. We read the fruit list that Paul gives in Galatians. All of that is all for reproduction. Because the seeds of the gospel are there. When you love, when you're kind, when you're generous, when you're, when you're self-controlled, the seeds of the gospel dwell in there and they get planted in other people as you live that out. That's what fruit is for. And so we have to understand here that the fruit that lasts is actually people like Misuk. It's beautiful transformation in our life that is the fruit that lasts for eternity everything else that we do we can feed hungry people it's really good we can give poor people in africa shoes it's really good work but it doesn't last for eternity folks we can do all the good we want in the world and it doesn't last for eternity the fruit that jesus is talking about here is lives saved for eternity with him in heaven fruit for eternity And so the sign of friendship with Jesus, these friends of Jesus who are sent on mission, is that they care about making disciples. That's what they're about. Baptizing them, teaching them friendship with Jesus and obedience to his word. And this is a wonderful, exciting, arduous, sometimes a really long-term thing as we walk with people. It's not always overnight. It's not always as fast as Misuk. Sometimes it's decades of walking with somebody. But that's what we need to be about. That's why it's the mission of Cornerstone Church, to glorify God by making disciples. That's our mission, folks. That's the mission that Jesus sent these people on. As friends, we need to understand that. And so, so servant-minded people, people who are just kind of towing the line, they're hoping to get into heaven even if their hair is a little singed, Servant-minded people are people where this type of fruitfulness is not evident really in their lives. They're, they're not making disciples. Actually, they, they spend time feeling guilty about not sharing their faith more than they actually spend time sharing their faith. And I say that because there's seasons in my life where I live in that space. And so, but a friend of Jesus knows what that friendship is like. A friend of Jesus can't wait to share this friendship that they have. They have a soft heart towards others. A friend of Jesus weeps. A friend mindset has us weeping about our friends who don't know this friend of ours. We care about the lostness of our family and our neighbors. And so friendship makes all the difference. Lastly, friends on mission. And this is what undergirds this whole thing. This is what has to empower disciple-making is friends on mission pray effective prayers. The second half of verse 16 says, 16b, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. 
These prayers are powerful and effective because Jesus' disciples are spending time with him. They, They get to know his heart. They pray into things that Jesus cares about. Secondly, they know the master's business. They know what he's up to. And so they can pray into the things that he's doing. That's why they're powerful and effective. Jesus says, whatever you ask in my name. And that means according to his will. When we pray into the will of Jesus, what he cares about, what are the things that he cares about? Well, his other buddy Pete in 2 Peter 3.9 says this, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slow. I love this passage so much. One of my favorites. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting. That word means to will deliberately. So this is his will. His will is not that anyone would perish. It's his will that none should perish, but that everyone would come to repentance. When we begin to pray into the will of Jesus, we know the will of Jesus, and that is towards discipleship. He wants to see more and more people be connected to the vine. When we pray into that, our prayers become powerful and effective. And so the mindset of a servant, one last contrast for us, the mindset of a servant is the mindset when it comes to prayer, they don't really pray powerful and effective prayers. Oftentimes a servant leaps right over the first part of the Lord's prayer, the kingdom part, and goes straight to the, I need my bread for today. That's kind of a servant mindset. I need, I need this for me. And so a servant's mindset, our prayers often revolve around what we need for the day. But what's beautiful about the Lord's Prayer is it starts with kingdom. Seek first the kingdom, and then all these things will be added unto you. So we start with a kingdom mindset. So a friend, friendship makes all the difference. A friend of the master knows that they can ask the master big, audacious things. A friend of the king starts at the beginning of the day before anybody else there at the bedchamber of the king and knows they can ask some big requests of the king. And we know the king's heart, and so we know that we can ask, we can move the heart of the king because we know what he loves. That's what friendship makes a difference about in prayer. So this morning, as we contemplate some of these things, as we look ahead at celebrating communion together Maybe you've never explored what it means to be a friend with God. And yet I want to tell you this morning, that's actually the invitation of Jesus here for us. Is that you thought God was something else. You thought God was a boss that you just had to toe the line. That you just had to be a lackey. That you just ha- all God wants is somebody who will walk behind the mower or run a trimmer. And God is inviting you into way much more than that. God's inviting you into an intimate friendship with him through Jesus Christ, through the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. It's an incredible invitation. So I want to say to you this morning, if you've never explored that, if you've never thought about that, I want to invite you this morning to make that choice. This is a mystical relationship. We have a relationship with an invisible God. There's something mystical about it, but there's people in this room who would love to help you walk that journey. And so all you need to go beside you to your friend is to say, okay, I didn't know this was a thing, this whole friendship thing, and I want it. Whatever that is, I want it. Can you help me walk that path? We'd love to. We'd love to help you walk that path. And maybe if you're like me, you feel like you fail at one or two of these things, or all of them. Sometimes I feel like I fail at all of them. And the beauty of that, the beauty of the promise is that part of the issue for us is that our temptation is just to work harder. 
right? Our temptation is like, shoot, I'm not loving enough. I better work hard at loving people. Shoot, I'm not praying enough. I better work hard at prayer. And I think that unless we're abiding in Jesus, these things become empty works. And so the invitation for you and me this morning is to come back to a Savior who loves to spend time with you. The invitation this morning is to spend more time with Jesus. If you see some of these things missing in your life, spend more time with him. Maybe you're here this morning and you don't even have a desire to live these things out. I've had seasons in my life like that. Lord, I don't even have the desire to make disciples. I think I've told you guys that story. And for me, it just started with a simple prayer. Jesus, I don't. I don't. I don't even want to know my neighbors. I'm so tired, like I'm exhausted. I don't want to go across the street. But I want your will to be done. I, I care about what you care about. I want to care about what you care about. Sometimes we don't even want to. We just, we don't care about what God cares about. But at least if you just want to want to, God will take that mustard seed of faith and he'll make a mountain out of it. If we just give him an ounce, he'll multiply that. And so this morning, just in our prayer time together, as we're, as we're celebrating communion, we're worshiping together, I invite you to just say that, Lord, there's moments in my life where I don't even want to want to. And yet I'm here this morning and I need you to do that miracle in my life. Finally, I just want to say for, I want to encourage our church. We're beginning to see some of these things lived out, and it's exciting. We see moments of sacrificial love. We see moments where disciples are being made. And I want to say, I want to see more of it. And so the invitation this morning is let's press into the friendship of Jesus because I believe God wants to do a movement among us here in Niagara. As we pray into that seeds of the gospel would fall on people's hearts, that he would use people just like you and me, people who are rebellious, people who don't get it, people who keep falling down. He's willing to help you up again and help you to keep walking in this way. And I want to say to you, Jesus is here. He's waiting. He's ready for us to say, God, we need you. Would you do this work among us? Would we see a revival in Niagara in this season? Starts with friendship with Jesus. It's where it all starts. It starts and ends there. And that's the invitation this morning. Let's pray together. So we want to receive this invitation this morning from you, Lord. What a beautiful passage of Scripture as you call your disciples, not servants, but friends. And Lord, we want to be those people who abide in you. That was your charge to them. That was your request of them, that they would keep abiding in you so that everything that they're doing, everything that they're living would flow out of, out of you, would flow out of what you want, would flow out of what you desire. And Lord, we pray as a church, that's the type of church we want to be. We want to be friends of Jesus on mission for you. So Lord Jesus, we ask as we worship together this morning, as we hang out together as you continue to fill us with great ideas of how to love each other, how to love those around us well, to love each other sacrificially, give us great ideas of how to expand your kingdom. We want to be people who come with creativity. We want to be people who care about disciple-making. We want our lives to be marked by these things. And so in the places where they're not, Lord, we just say we want to line up with you. And so we come back to you, our living water. We come back to you, the bread of life. We want to enter into that again, Lord.
So we receive your invitation of friendship this morning. Teach us what that means to walk with you as friends so that we can see this region, even this nation, this world transformed by the love that we see as you shed your blood on the cross for us. That we would see the world transformed by the power of the spirit that raised you to life again. That same power dwells in us. Lord, we want to see that come And we pray into that in the name of Jesus for his glory, for the glory of the Father. In Jesus' name, amen.